From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Recently in the news headlines, we heard about doctors in the United States using a gene editing tool called CRISPR to treat a patient with sickle cell disease. With me in the HealthLink on Air studio to help us understand what sounds like a promising advance are medical oncologist Dr. Gloria Morris, who specializes in cancer risk assessment and genetic testing for hereditary cancers, and genetics program coordinator Rachel Grosvenor. Welcome to you both. Thank you for being here. Thank you for Thank having you. us. CRISPR, what, what is that? What does it stand for and, and what is it? CRISPR is essentially a new technology, which is a new powerful tool for editing genomes. And it is an acronym uh, defined as clusters of regularly interspaced short palindromic repeats. So C-R-I-S-P-R. Stands for, yes, for that uh, definition, molecular definition of well, when, when we say it's a tool, is it, a, is it an object or is it a technique? It's a, exactly. It's a technique, a technique. Okay. which is a sequence of nucleotides in DNA attached to an enzyme which can cut DNA in double-stranded areas, double-stranded, uh, making double-stranded breaks. And the whole complex called CRISPR-Cas9 is a, uh, a conglomeration of the CRISPR sequence plus the enzyme which will cut DNA strands, uh, double-strand uh, DNA. And basically, as a tool, it is uh, able to be programmed or developed uh, with molecular techniques that really have stemmed in this generation from our previous knowledge generations ago of recombinant DNA technology. That's the era that I did my own molecular training. However, the advances in the field have been incredible in order to make the ability to edit DNA a lot more specific. So it sounds like the things that you're describing are uh, molecular biologists would be doing these things. It's not like my doctor is working on this at this point. So we're sort of talking about things that are to come in the future. Exactly. In, okay. in clinical practice today, we know that we are certainly able to personalize treatments based on gene alterations and targets that... Uh, certain drugs have been able to target so that treatment can be a lot more specific and hopefully with less toxicity. However, to be able to actually go into the genome and deliver a, an edited gene, which is now corrected for its previous defect, is truly uh, a breakthrough that hopefully one day will be able to be uh, co- almost commonplace in humans if uh, many aspects can be uh, further characterized first. Now, the headlines um, that we read recently dealt with sickle cell disease. So yes. were, are, are we experimenting with fixing or repairing a gene that causes sickle cell, Rachel? Um, well, for the sickle cell example, um, 
the woman in this article that we were reading had been suffering with debilitating pain from sickle cell her whole life. She volunteered for this early international clinical trial at the prestigious Sarah Cannon Research Institute in Nashville. And Sarah Cannon has always been at the forefront of cancer clinical trials and establishing national treatment guidelines. In this trial, they're using CRISPR to treat sickle cell disease by harvesting bone marrow stem cells from the patient's peripheral blood. Then they use CRISPR to edit the gene in order to actually induce those stem cells to produce fetal hemoglobin, which is something we normally stop producing shortly after birth. Huh. The hope is this fetal hemoglobin will be able to compensate for the defective sickle cell hemoglobin and enable the patient to live a somewhat normal life. The patient does then have to go through a conditioning regimen of chemotherapy to wipe out their own defective bone marrow, and then they receive the infusion of the edited stem cell progenitor bone marrow cells. Interesting. So where um, do you know where things are with that particular trial? I believe it was just very recently that okay. she actually went through the process. So we really don't know if it's worked And yet. we don't know if it will have long-term effects, if the body, how the body will react to it. So it's very early trials still, and it may take many months before we see any effects and we know how well it works. Well, that's interesting, though, to take somebody's, um, their own blood and tinker with it um, and then give it back to them. Would that be the type of thing that this woman would then, if she went on and had children, this protection would be passed on to the children as well or not? Unfortunately, at this level, this isn't something she would have the ability to pass on. Okay. And it would be something that would be an individualized treatment for each person. Interesting. Um, but it's a good first step towards correcting a genetic disease. Have you had um, patients asking about that or CRISPR technique in general, Dr. Morris? I have simply because in the literature as well as newscasts, uh, this new technology, even when it is introduced and even when there are news stories of this being used for the first time at, at different institutions or in different research capacities, the knowledge uh, is disseminated that this is an entity that could be possible. And I have had uh, patients ask this in both the clinic and in support group settings where I have discussed hereditary gene mutations that can cause different cancers. Uh, what's interesting is that, well, two things. People want hope, and we want to give them as much hope as possible for all ways to try to combat disease, target uh, how to treat disease. But what also is interesting is that there are so many different gene mutations that we're learning about that hopefully one day there can be at least targeted therapy, if not uh, uh, editing uh, gene mutations that can put people at a higher risk of cancer. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with medical oncologist Dr. Gloria Morris and genetics program coordinator Rachel Grosvenor, both from the Upstate Cancer Center. We're talking about CRISPR, um, a new, relatively new technique for gene editing. Um, and I want we've talked about sickle cell disease, but there's some other diseases that people are holding out a lot of hope for. Um, cancer, I guess, namely. 
Do you see whether in the future CRISPR might be the cure for cancer? That's a wonderful question. In terms of a cure, it's so broad and we learn that there are so many specific gene mutations that it is, uh, in anyone's view, going to take an armamentarium toward multiple targets that might be able to attain that goal. And what's interesting about the uh, sickle cell article is that it also alluded to uh, other forms of anemia that could be targeted. And as we Mm -hmm. read about a lot of the other uh, articles that are referenced in that article, there are uh, certainly some uh, at least phase one, even dose finding clinical trials where they don't really know the toxicity in humans yet. But um, a lot of the commentary from these trials and descriptions suggests that it's a lot easier to uh, integrate the technology right now into hematologic malignancies where there are blood cancers and where there are the ability to harvest immune cells from the peripheral blood as opposed to trying to treat solid organ cancer so far at this time. Um, But one of the ways that this uh, certainly can be done is to be able to harvest from the peripheral blood uh, bone marrow clones or immune clones that can be stimulated to enter the peripheral blood and to extract those, try to do gene editing uh, in terms of knocking out a uh, target, a gene target, and infuse those back into the patient, just as Rachel was describing from this from this uh, particular article. Well, let's talk about the risks. Um, what are the risks of gene editing using CRISPR? It's interesting because many of the risks we want to think about in terms of First of all, toxicity to the human. Anytime that there is immune therapy, some of the after effects of any immune therapy certainly should be monitored as oncologists and clinicians do. Uh, Any type of um, autoimmune mechanism that might be uh, aggravated in, uh, in humans and any type of dermatitis, gastroenteritis, um, all kinds of other inflammatory reactions that that could occur. The other potential pitfalls, though, from what we're understanding, actually have to do with even the development of the tools. Even within the cells themselves trying to edit genes and then have an expansion of cell lines take, if you will, is a challenge. And so even getting to that step of introducing a CRISPR-edited infusion to a patient takes a while and takes a lot of uh, not only persistence in the laboratory, but a lot of troubleshooting in terms of trying to get clones to grow, trying to find the best technique in order to introduce that edited sequence into cells. Uh, Rachel came across an excellent molecular article which also uh, shows us that when we test patients in our clinic for P53 
mutations that could put people at a predisposition for cancer, for example, we also now know that that P53 or DNA damage response can be activated even when edited DNA, DNA is introduced into an experimental cell. And so there's been a lot of uh, interesting articles just trying to understand what the molecular mechanisms are, are that are activated within cells to try to protect themselves from even invasion from foreign DNA. And so there's a lot of troubleshooting that is, is still in uh, process in the, in the laboratories just to try to develop what is going to eventually be introduced into a human for treatment. So as I understand it right now, these techniques are not available to a person coming in to see a doctor. What do you say to patients who ask you about them, though, that, that want to try them now, that are willing to um, be, you know, be a guinea pig, so to speak? First, we always uh, applaud patients for their willingness to participate in such trials. They're truly the heroes that are uh, interested in pushing the field forward. Certainly, the article that Rachel had summarized um, really exhibits, along with the NPR radio transcript, uh, of you know the more personal uh, account of a person who's been through multiple, multiple rounds of different modalities of treatment and is willing to uh, try and experiment. What we usually do in the clinic if someone is very interested in participating in a clinical trial is I certainly work with our oncologists to see what is available. We know that CRISPR technology for the development uh, at our university is in development and is uh, in laboratory research. We also go to clinical trials websites from the National Cancer Institute, clinicaltrials.gov, to see what clinical trials are available nationally. And we want to make sure it is nationally, even though a lot of this technology is being developed and clinical trials are being done overseas. But we know that we have a lot more institutional review uh, for the ethics before introducing to humans in the United States, a lot of good regulation that we need to have uh, ethically before allowing clinical trials to take place. And we do look for those institutions and academic institutions across the United States that might have this type of therapy. Um, there are bone marrow transplant facilities that are looking at this therapy, for example, that are uh, accessible by going on the National Cancer Institute website as well. So you can help people because the technology, it's out there and you can help them maybe find it if, if there's a trial that applies to their diagnosis. Yes, so yes. That's good to know. Well, thank you so much for talking about this upcoming promising technology. My guests have been medical oncologist Dr. Gloria Morris, who specializes in cancer risk assessment and genetic testing for hereditary cancers, and genetics program coordinator Rachel Grosvenor, both from the Upstate Cancer Center. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.